0: So good to have you here today, and um, uh, if you're visiting with us today, we just want you to know that we are about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, it's going to be there in our songs, which I'm sure you've you've you know you've sung with us about. It's going to be in the time of ministry of the word. Uh, we don't want to pull any fast ones on you. We want you to know that our church exists to bring glory to God, who has provided uh, salvation through His Son because of what He has done on the cross for us. And we we invite you to join with us as we celebrate him. I'll be in the back after the service, um, and uh, we have as a guest speaker today, Chris Kiagiri, um, who of course was part of our church for a number of years, he and his wife, Wavinia. And I'll let Chris, maybe when it comes up, just share a little bit about what the Lord's doing in their lives right now. Um, And we're so glad to have him come. He's going to be speaking this week uh, from Wednesday through this morning um, I and the elders were um, in angels camp, which is where elders go. We go to the angels, right, for our retreat. Um, but uh, we were there and just, when we say retreat, don't think, you know, lazing out around the pool. It was more, let's get to work. And um, it was just wonderful to be able to spend time with these brothers. And uh, Chris has been kind enough to s- step in and be able to say, hey, I can I can cover for you this morning. That's a huge help to us. But I know some of you were praying about that and uh, we, we were thankful for Uh, for that ministry you did, because I think the Lord was able to give us some clarity on some things. Um, So just want you to be mindful of that. At this time, I want to let the teachers go to their class um, to at least head up, I think it's just Jane at this point, right, and maybe there's others. But in the bulletin it says, the rest of the kids are going to stay in the auditorium. However, because we love you, um, what's going to happen is the older kids are actually going to go with Kathy Kim and they're going to go, um, with Joy also, and they're going to be learning some songs for Christmas. All right? And so they're going to be doing something special, different than the actual classes. Um, so you can go at this point in time um, if you um, desire to do that, OK? All right, uh, while they're going, let me just highlight some things that are in the bulletin. Um, a couple, a number of important things are happening today. There's Holmberg at the Andersons. Uh, so please check that out. Um, this coming Saturday, there are two things happening, one in the morning, and it's the woman's book study at 9.15, not nine thirty, nine fifteen. if you could be there, um, and gentlemen, husbands, make sure you clear the deck so that your wife can go, make sure you're covering the kids, get them breakfast, all that kind of stuff, and just make sure she has the freedom to participate. And then in the evening, the guys are getting together, and we're going to... The Vakulans by Goober, okay? We're all going to kind of join together in carpooling all the way up to Vallejo um, to spend an evening around a fire, fellowshipping uh, and talking about you know, things of the Lord together, but um, invite you to come, um, all you men. And so a lot going on um, uh, next Saturday. And then uh, just a couple of other things that you may want to just take note of um, Let's see, Home Group. Oh, yeah, Operation Christmas Child. Today is the last day to turn stuff in. I want you to be mindful of that. So obviously joy is gone, but after the service, make sure you leave those back on the table as you, as you leave, okay? And uh, you can see the rest of the bulletin for other announcements that might be there. But want to, you know, I want you to be mindful of some of the things that are going on, and we're so thankful for the way that God has um, just given us people that can serve in different capacities so these things can take place. Well, let's now take a moment to go to the Lord in prayer as a church family and um, uh, pray for our our family, pray for our nation, and pray for the things that that God has given us to to do. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for uh, this gathering together this morning. Whether we're present here or um, by your providence, Lord, at home uh, watching via live stream, Lord, we want to come together right now, uh, come before you um and 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 lord praise you first of all for your gospel and thank you lord for for drawing us to yourself and lord for 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 gifting us lord this wonderful grace that we experience and lord help us to continue lord in that grace to to grow and, and to become more and more like your son jesus christ lord that our sanctification would be central lord in our pursuit um uh, in, in this life, Lord. Help us to, to, to be hard workers, Lord. Uh, Lord, not, not legalistic by any means, Lord, but just enjoying the, the wonderful fruit of what it means to walk with you and to grow, to become like your son, Jesus Christ, Lord. Uh, we pray now, Lord, for those who are our, our partners and our friends around the world, Lord, as, as I talked with Matthias this week, just briefly, and just realized there's a more political turmoil happening in Bolivia um, riots in, in some places, conflict uh, just between the, the the great division in that country. Uh, Lord, we ask for those who are Christians, Lord, to be safe and to see this, uh, although it may be something that's out of their hands to some degree, to be an opportunity to, to enter into people's lives and to minister the gospel and to be people of peace and grace. And uh, Lord, give Matthias and the church there, Biblica Church, and others, Lord, wherever they may be, Lord, just strength and power to minister for you. We pray for our friends in, in Ukraine, uh, Lord, where there continue to be just a variety of, a variety of different struggles, and uh, we ask, Lord, for for help for them, and, uh, Lord, that uh, those who are standing up today and preaching the word, Lord, would be faithful. Uh, Lord, we ask for, for, again, your power to work through them. Uh, Lord, we think of those in our church family who who are struggling, who are sick, and just pray, Lord, for for Eileen, Lord, you continue to to bring her, Lord, to health, uh, Lord, for Keith, who's just ongoing with with different struggles that he has, Lord, that you would strengthen his body, and uh, Lord, give him health, Lord, for Scott uh, Anoni, uh, as he just continues, Lord, to get healthy and and uh, uh, pursues a greater recovery, uh, Lord, we we just bring these people to you, Lord. i I'm sure I've forgotten some, but Lord, these are your people, these are your. Uh, these are your children, we ask Lord that you would continue to strengthen them and minister to them lord through through the your your own church family, but Lord, even through the word and by virtue of your Holy Spirit being present with them, um, Lord, help them to see that what they 're going through, Lord, is part of your plan to bring glory uh, to yourself, and uh, Lord, give them a determination lord to to face the trial um, lord with with vigor. And uh, trusting you all the way. And Lord, we all are experiencing a variety of different things in our lives. And just give us wisdom, Lord. We ask day by day that we would keep you central. Even, Lord, as we sung. But, Lord, practically, Lord, as we live, would you help us to do that? And then, Lord, as we think about our country, um, Lord, regardless of political parties, Lord, there's just chaos and, and foolishness and hypocrisy. And, Lord, just things that are just ugly. And yet, you are still seated on the throne, and Lord, this is where you've placed us. Even in California, Lord, where things are even worse than maybe they are nationally, um, we ask, Lord, that as a church, that we wouldn't run from what you've called us to, that, that we would embrace it, and Lord, that we would move forward by your strength and power, Lord, to carry on the mission that you've called us to, to take the gospel to the end of the earth. And uh, Lord, although that may be becoming more and more difficult, Lord, we ask that you would give us wisdom and discernment and determination, Lord, to be faithful to you in that. And so, Lord, as we, as we think about that, Lord, we, we just want to be uh, the kind of light and witness you've called us to be. So, Lord, help that to be true for us individually and true, Lord, as a church, that we would be a beacon in a very, very dark place. And, Lord, that the beacon... Of light would be because of the gospel, that people would see that in us by our words, by our actions, by our interactions with them. And uh, Lord, today, now as we, as we ready ourselves for your word, uh, we ask, Lord, that you would um, prepare our hearts, that we would be humble before you, that we would be teachable, and that you would be glorified by not only the word that is preached but also by our hearts that are listening and embracing your truth. We ask this now in your precious name. Amen. Well, um, let's uh, get our Bibles right now. I'm going to go ahead and read our text for today. And it's the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1 and verses 19 through 30. Oh, I'm sorry, Chris. What was it? 19 through 34? I'm sorry, all right. Thank you. Let's stand together and we will read this and then um, Chris is going to come and he's going to minister the word for us, okay? John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. Sorry, 19, thank you. I don't do this very often, so I I appreciate any help that you can give me. And this is the testimony of John. John he said i am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness make straight the way of the lord as the prophet isaiah said now they had but seen or but they had been sent from the pharisees they asked him then why are you baptizing if you are neither the christ nor elijah nor the prophet john answered them i baptize with water but among you stands one He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer right now. Lord, we we ask that as we come to this text that our hearts truly would be ready to receive what you have for us. May we be hungry for you and hungry to grow and hungry to learn. Lord, what we know not, would you teach us? What we have not, Lord, would you give us? What we are not, Lord, would you make us through the faithful preaching of your word? We ask in your precious holy name. Amen.
1: Good morning, Gateway Bible Church. So my family and I have never been in this building before, but we feel right at home. And why might you think that is? That's because of you all, um, brethren in the Lord, uh, and not just brethren in the Lord, but specifically many of you with whom we were able to uh, fellowship with on a week-to-week basis as part of Gateway Bible Church. Uh, from 2016 to 2019. And so it is such a joy to, to see you again. For those who perhaps we did not see at the anniversary celebration, congratulations again on a decade of um, local church ministry here in the uh, East Bay area. And for those of you that we haven't had the pleasure of meeting, uh, it is a joy to, to have that opportunity here this morning. Just a very quick update uh, before we dive into our text, um, and it begins with appreciation for you all and for um, the friendships that have continued even after we uh, went over to Realm Church up in Oakland. I bring you greetings from that congregation. It's a small body of less than thirty folks who gather are now gathering in person as of since Easter of this year, after about uh, a year of of not being able to physically gather, um, and. The Lord is working there as we gather under his word week by week. Uh, We just recently started a series through the Gospel of John, which is why we are in this text this morning. Um, And many of you have been an encouragement to us um, as we've um, been laboring there. Next month, so I know your update says in a couple months, it's really now down to a few weeks, Uh, my family and I will be moving back to Kenya, uh, which is where we're from. That's where our parents still are and we have been desiring to go back uh, around this time ever since we got here five years ago and the Lord has not only made it possible but he has used a number of providential uh, occurrences to seemingly make it crystal clear that this is indeed the right time and it is um, something that we're thankful for. Um, If you would like to be in prayer for us, uh, we will be laboring at the church that I grew up in, the Road Baptist Church. It's the church my dad remains the pastor of. Some of you met him in 2018. My parents were here for the summer to visit for a few weeks. Uh, he's in failing health, uh, so you can be in prayer for that. Um, and it's our joy to be able to be there uh, for them in this season of, um, of failing health in particular. Uh, but at the church, I will be looking to... Um, help, serve, bring some new life, if you will, into a particular aspect of uh, the church, which is an, an evening service that has been very near and dear to me growing up in that church. That evening service has struggled over the years, and I have been given the opportunity to labor in that specific area, uh, bringing the Word of God um, most weeks. I'll be bivocational, so I won't be preaching every week. Uh, But we'll be looking to bring exposition through books of the Bible, which you are all very familiar with here, to that particular service. That is not um, what is currently taking place in that service, and that is something we're looking to um, introduce or reintroduce. It it once used to happen. It hasn't happened for some time. And so we'll be running Simeon Trust workshops. We'll be working with young men and um, helping them to work through Uh, scripture and share that with uh, the the, the people of God on on a week-to-week basis. So that is something that you could uh, be in prayer for. All right, so we are in John chapter 1, and my proposition for us, uh, which you'll see up on, on the screen, is that the witness of John, John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, reveals the identity of Jesus as the Lamb of God for sinners. The witness of John, the Baptist, reveals the identity of Jesus as the Lamb of God for sinners. Now, the Gospel according to John is one of those books in the Bible whose purpose is best understood by peeking ahead to the end of the book. The Apostle John, in particular, who writes this, is, is marked by this way of writing. If you look at First John, so the first of his three letters towards the end of your Bible, you will see that it is in the final chapter of First John, uh, chapter 5, verse 13, where he reveals why he's writing that letter. Right. So he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's the focus of his writing in First John. Assurance is the theme there. Here in John's Gospel, um, he does something similar. So if you peek ahead towards the very end of chapter 20, so the last verse of the second last chapter of the book, John chapter 20, verse 31, we find the purpose of this book. It says, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. That is John's aim as he writes these things. And so now if we come to chapter 1, we notice we started reading from verse 19. If you were to glance over the first 18 verses of the chapter, uh, we, we know it starts off just like Genesis. In the beginning, this familiar passage, we see the word, capital W, um, His preexistence. We see His presence with God. And we see... His personhood as the God man. He was in the beginning, pre existed, he was with God, and he was God. And yet he took on flesh. We see that the Word became flesh in verse 14 and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is a a great text to. Meditate upon the wonder of the incarnation as we approach Advent and Christmas in just a few short weeks. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. So that's how the chapter starts off. And if you've been, unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably heard of some court cases in the recent news cycle. Uh, I've managed to avoid, for the most part, um, what all is transpiring, but the metaphor of a courtroom is one that is very familiar to us, even if we have never set foot in a courtroom ourselves. Uh, and you know, you have a case and you have a prosecutor and you have witnesses who are being called to the stand uh, to give testimony, to bear witness. Um, and that testimony is then evaluated um, and hopefully a verdict that is just uh, is the result of, of all of this. But truth is at the center of this exercise to determine what happened and how did it happen and what are the, the, the objective facts here uh, in order that truth and justice might prevail. At least that's the goal. Now, having been introduced to the purpose of John's writing in, in John here, we know the one about whom this book is written, Right? These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the promised King. And over the next few chapters in the early part of John's Gospel, John is about to call a number of witnesses to the stand, if you will, if we could use that metaphor, to testify as to who Jesus is. And there is no more important question for us this morning. Who is Jesus? Whether you've known him for decades or whether you have recently come to know him or whether you do not know him, it remains an ultimately important question. Who is he? And so the first witness, in any case, is very critical. It's important in starting to build together a compelling body of testimony. And it's usually somebody who is very close to the subject of the case. And here we see that witness number one, that the Apostle John, the prosecutor, if you will, calls to the stand, is his namesake, John the Baptizer, or the Baptist. We've been introduced to him briefly in verses 6 and 7. It says there in verse 6, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So, That's the brief introduction, and now from verse 19 and following, we want to hear the testimony of John. The true light was the light of men that was breaking in or coming into the world uh, to shine into the darkness. That is um, who John was sent to reveal and to point to. Now, it's one thing to send someone. It's another thing entirely for that person to do what they have been sent to do. I'm sure I can get an amen from parents who have school-aged children in the house. And I know we have most of the kids out, but those who are still here, kids, it's one thing to be sent. It's another thing altogether to do what you are sent to do. And so our text this morning is divided pretty neatly into two blocks, um, verses 19 to 28, and then verses 29 to 34. Um, The first block, we can call it an interrogation. The second block is an identification. These two blocks of text take place on two consecutive days, so one day after another. And they tell us about one who was sent and one who, and who sent them. So we're seeing on day one uh, who it was that was sent to interrogate John, the interrogation from verses 19 to 28. And then on the second day, we'll see who it was that is sent to identify Jesus from verses 29 to 34. Okay, so day one, the interrogation, the Pharisees send priests and Levites. The Pharisees send priests and Levites. Verse 24 reveals to us that the Jews, who are mentioned in verse 19, were the Pharisees. It's in parentheses in your text. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, verse 24. The Pharisees being the most powerful social, religious, political party in Israel, and there are three questions that these priests and Levites who were sent by the Pharisees are coming to ask. The first question in verse 19 and in verse 22, who are you? The second question in verse 22, what do you say about yourself? And the third question in verse 25, why are you baptizing? This is the interrogation. And before we examine these questions and the response of John, the baptizer, you may be wondering, why are these priests and Levites and the Pharisees who sent them so concerned? What is the urgent curiosity behind their questions? And to understand this, it's helpful for us to realize that there had been a period of silence Among the Jews for about four centuries, about 400 years of silence since the era of the kings and the prophets who had prophesied that the king, the Messiah, uh, would be coming from the line of David. Chronologically, what comes before the Gospel of John? It's not Luke, right? Because we have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call them the synoptic Gospels, and then now we have John as the fourth Gospel, So all of these four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chronologically uh, happen together. So really what happens right before John um, is Malachi. And so I want us to glance at Malachi 4, verses 4 to 5. Malachi 4, 4 to 5. And let's remind ourselves how the Old Testament comes to a close. Malachi 4, verses 4 to 5. It says, Remember the law of my servant Moses Comes to a close. And so, with that backdrop, uh, we come to our text. First question Who are you? And what we find here is uh, a strange confession by John, the baptizer, rather than a direct answer. John begins his response with Who he is not. Kind of reminds me of the board game Clue. I don't know if that's still a game that people play. We played it growing up, our kids have taken a liking to it recently. Uh, It's a game in which you eliminate a number of scenarios. uh, Who who committed the crime with which weapon in which room? And through a process of elimination, you you end up with the truth. And so here, John decides not to answer directly, but he he begins by eliminating some possibilities. Uh, He says in verse 20, Not the Christ. I am not the Christ. Um, he says in verse twenty-one that he is not Elijah. Right? We've just heard at the end of Malachi that I will send Elijah, uh, and then um, we see that he is not the prophet, and we'll say more about that. Now, Elijah in Luke's gospel, uh, the beginning of Luke chapter one, verses thirteen to seventeen. Listen to what is said about John the Baptist. Uh, so, Luke one verses thirteen to seventeen. their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So an angel appears to Zechariah, the priest who was John's father, um, tells him that they will have a son. His name will be John. And verse 17 says that he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. And so there's a number of possibilities as these priests and as these Levites come to interrogate John. They have seen his ministry out in the wilderness, heard his preaching. He has a following. Clearly something peculiar is going on here. Who is this man? Is he the Christ? Is he the promised Messiah? John says, no, I'm not. Is he Elijah? Is he the one of whom Malachi speaks at the very end of Malachi? The one in whose spirit um, the angel tells Zechariah this son, John, would um, come in? No, he's not. Is he the prophet? Now, was John a prophet? Yes, he was a prophet. But John says he is not the prophet, capital P, What's up with that? The priests and the Levites would have been familiar with Moses' prophecy in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, which says, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him shall ye hearken. Peter, in the book of Acts, and you may have already gotten through that in chapter 3 if, in your series through the book of Acts. Peter quotes that verse in Acts chapter 3, and he connects it explicitly to Jesus. He quotes from Deuteronomy 18.15, where Moses says, The Lord will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of, thee, of thy brethren, like unto me. Unto him shall ye hearken. Peter then connects it in Acts 3 with Jesus. And so the priests and the Levites may be asking themselves if John the baptizer is that prophet, that Moses spoke of. John, being a prophet, small p, knew that Christ was the prophet, big P, of whom Moses spoke. And so to that, he answers, no, I am not the prophet, capital P. Picture the exasperation in these priests and Levites by now interrogating John. He's rebuffed a number of prevailing theories From multiple angles, the promised Christ from the prophets, Elijah from Malachi 4, the promised prophet by Moses in Deuteronomy 18, confirmed to be Christ by Peter in Acts 3. No, no, no. So they plead again with him with an air of desperation here in verse 22 of our text, saying, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. And so they try a different question. What do you say about yourself? We tried asking you directly, who are you? What do you say, what have you to say about yourself besides who you are not? And this time they get a somewhat more promising but still somewhat cryptic answer. Verse 23, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. I call it promising because... The priests and the Levites would possibly, maybe even likely, have recognized this as a reference to Isaiah 40, uh, which I would like us to turn to, keeping a bookmark in John 1. So Isaiah 40, verse 3 says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. In my translation, the English Standard Version I have a chapter title above Isaiah 40 that says comfort for God's people. Why did God's people need comfort? They were a war-torn people, verse 2. It says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And how does this comfort come about in Isaiah 40? It comes through God's revelation of himself. We see it in verse 5. Verse 5 says, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We here with access to the New Testament, we know that the glory of the Lord is revealed chiefly in the face of Jesus. In Second Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of what? The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we see that foreshadowed here. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And so comfort is coming through God's revelation of Himself. It's coming through His revelation of Himself and His greatness. From verses 9 through the end of Isaiah 40, the greatness of God. Verse 10 says, He comes with might. Verse 15 says, The nations are like a drop and like dust. Verse 17 says, the nations are as nothing or less than nothing. Verse 22 says, He sits above the circle of the earth with its inhabitants as grasshoppers. Verse 23 He brings princes of the earth to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Verse 26 He brings out the starry host and calls them all by name by the greatness of His might, and because He is strong in power, not one of them is missing. And yet, in the midst of this elaborate description of the might and the greatness of God, don't miss the counterintuitive attribute of His gentleness. We see that in verse 11, and we'll see it again in verses 29 to 31. The one who comes in might, in verse 10, is the one who, in the very next verse, will tend his flock like a shepherd, will gather the lambs in his arms, will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. The one that is so powerful that the prophet Isaiah asks rhetorically in verse 28, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. That one, that all-powerful one, is the one in the very next three verses who doesn't lord that power over the weak, but empowers them instead. In verse 29, he gives power to the faint. And to them, to him who has no might, he increases strength. Verses 30 and 31, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not feigned. Some of you are familiar with Aslan from C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. And in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, just as to the glistening eastern sea, Aslan gives you Queen Lucy, the valiant, in the same breath to the radiant southern sun, he gives Queen Susan, the gentle. Both valiant and Gentle. In Revelation 5, we see Christ is both the Lion of Judah in verse 5 of Revelation 5 and the Lamb who was slain in the very next verse, Revelation 5, 6. And so this is the sort of imagery, walking through it here, that would have come to the minds of the priests and the Levites when John the Baptizer, in his response to, What do you say about yourself? draws a line straight from Isaiah 40. He is the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Just as Isaiah did centuries previously, John has some words of comfort. He has good tidings of great comfort and joy to tell, if you will. If I may pause here by way of application for us. Friends, are you weary? Are you worn out like God's people were here in Isaiah 40? And if so, have you known or have you found the comfort that is available in God's revelation of himself as the one who is great and mighty and yet gentle with the weak and the faint who have no strength of their own? There's echoes here of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are you when men shall revile you, persecute you, and say all manner of things against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Good news for those who recognize their need. And so our priests and Levites here have one more question in their interrogation of John. Why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Why is it that you are doing what you are doing? John begins to give an answer, but he won't complete his answer until the following day, which is why we are covering both of these texts back to back. But the one thing I want us to note before we move on from the interrogation in verses um, 19 to 28 here is the humility of John in verse 27. John 1, 27, he is quick to point away from himself and to the one who comes after him and describes himself as unworthy to untie his sandal straps. Verse 26, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. What is the significance of untying sandal straps? Maybe not something we do as much now, but in the first century, after walking on dusty roads, In open sandals, as you might imagine, one would end up with pretty dirty feet. And the image we're presented with here is that of a person untying the sandal straps of another, um, ostensibly in service to them, about to wash their feet. And John the baptizer is essentially saying that he is not worthy to even be the servant of this one who is to come. You may be thinking to yourself, I'm still, I'm still not sure I see his humility here. Well, listen to what Jesus had to say about John, uh, the baptizer, in Matthew's account. So Matthew chapter 11, I'm going to read verses 7 to 11. Matthew 11, 7 to 11, this is Jesus speaking about John the Baptist. He says, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Praise doesn't get higher than that. This is Jesus saying, "Truly, I say to you," this is Matthew eleven eleven, "Among those born of women, who's that? That's everyone, every human that's ever lived. There has arisen no one greater." Than John the Baptist. And that's the same John who says, I am not worthy to be the servant, the one who would untie the sandal straps of this one who is to come. So John was a great man. Jesus himself says it. But he knew his place. And friends, may I remind us this morning that humility and true greatness go hand in hand. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Okay, that brings us now to our second section. Uh, We've seen the interrogation, who it was that was sent to interrogate John on day one, the priest and the Levites sent by the Pharisees. Now we come to the identification on day two, verses 29 to 34, and we'll take a closer look at the one who was sent to identify or to reveal Jesus. And it's straightforward. God sent John. John was on a mission from God. He was sent to be a witness. We saw that. Verses 6 to 8, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. But as I said in the beginning, it's one thing to be sent. It's another thing altogether to accomplish that which one is sent to do. So God sends John. And here in this section from 19 to 34... It shows us how John fulfills his purpose as a witness. In any legal case, you always want to call reliable sources, to ask those who are closest to the subject of the case. The Gospel of John does not record the actual event of the baptism of Jesus. That's recorded in the Synoptic Gospels Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But what we can tell is that the events of this passage, 29 and following, Take place sometime after the baptism of Jesus. And from this passage we learn why John was sent to baptize. And we even learn that apparently, and this was surprising even to me, despite being his cousin, like if we trace it back to Mary and Elizabeth and, um, and, and, and their births being a few months apart, he himself didn't know Jesus at first, or at least not fully. Uh, understand or comprehend who he was. Um, we, we, we know the record of them in their mother's wombs and Elizabeth saying that when Mary walked in, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Uh, there's, there's something in this text that would indicate that John did not fully comprehend who Jesus was. Let me read for us 29 to 34. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit, speaking of the baptism which has taken place by now, descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So the Holy Spirit descending as a dove at the baptism was every bit a revelation to John himself according to his testimony here. A question for us, and I will actually invite some responses from you. If you were asked to preach a sermon in just five words, what would you come up with? You're invited to come up, preach a sermon to us in five words. Uh, Someone's pointing at the slide. We'll get there. (laughs) Anyone? Anyone? Food for thought. Maybe go think about it. Here's, here's one. Jesus said, that's two words. It is finished. That's five words. How about repent and believe the gospel? Maybe that, that might be good. God's steadfast love endures forever. But here's one uh, that's really good. In verse 29, behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. And then if you are allowed a few more words, who takes away the sin of the world. John sees Jesus coming toward him the following day, verse 29, and he makes this proclamation, Behold. Not just see, behold. It's not a word we use colloquially very much today, but it has, it's more loaded than see. It, it, it's stop, look, and consider. All in one. Behold. Stop. Look. Consider. Consider the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He discloses in verse 30 that Jesus is the one he was referring to the previous day when he spoke of one whose the strap of whose sandal he wasn't worthy to untie in verse 27, one who ranks before him. The Jews who were present would have heard the phrase Lamb of God and likely thought about the Old Testament sacrificial system, the Passover, the Day of Atonement, they would have had a a vivid picture of the animal sacrifices, the horror of sin, and the price for the removal of sin or the covering of sin. Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And yet here is John, the baptizer, pointing to a man, Jesus, in whom all of these realities are embodied and find their ultimate fulfillment. I want to read to us from Hebrews 9 and 10. Hebrews 9, verses 11 to 14, reads, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. There it is, a perfect sacrifice, a solution to our defilement and our need for redemption. It continues in Hebrews 10. I'm going to read from verse 11 down to verse 18. And every priest, right? So these priests who are in John 1 would... also bears witness to us for after, saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. We see here the only one who can take away sin, the one whose single sacrifice was sufficient for all time, perfected for those of us who are being sanctified. And finally, continuing on here in Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 22, we see that it is to be received by faith. Therefore, brothers, verse 19, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Friends, this is the good news that I am inviting us to hear afresh and anew contained in the faithful witness of John the baptizer. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And while we know that Christ accomplished this work decisively on the cross, conquering sin, death, and the grave in his resurrection, the call for us to behold is not a one-time beholding. Some concluding thoughts here. We behold to become. We behold to become. We have a next slide here. We mentioned 2 Corinthians 4, 6 earlier about the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you look up just six verses earlier, look at what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18. 2 Corinthians 3:18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, which chapter 4. Verse 6 says, is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It is by continuing to behold the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ that we are being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another through the work of the Spirit in us. Christ likeness is the goal. The 19th century Scottish pastor, Robert Murray McShane, died at the young age of 30, but he left us with a quote that has become somewhat well-known, for every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. Now, we may have heard that quote, but the, the, the longer paragraph in his memoir from which that quote comes continues. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Let the Holy Spirit fill every chamber of your heart, and so there will be no room for folly or the world or Satan or the flesh. I'll read that again. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Let the Holy Spirit fill every chamber of your heart, and so there will be no room for folly, or the world, or Satan, or the flesh. Isn't that what you want? Second thought as we close be like John. Bit of a silly reference to the old Gatorade commercial. Um, be like John. Who was John? He was a witness. He was asked, Who are you? What do you say about yourself? And I ask you, Who are you? And what do you say about yourself? We have so much to say about ourselves. We have resumes. We have, I don't know, Facebook profiles, LinkedIn profiles, whatever social media you are on. What do you say about yourself? But this witness pointed to another, one who was to come, one who was greater, one of whom he did not deem himself worthy of even being a servant to, let alone a son. And we, if we are in Christ, are adopted as sons into the family of God. Are we witnesses, faithful witnesses, who point to him? What do you say about yourself? And the third question in the interrogation was, why do you do this thing that you're doing, this baptizing? And for us, we know the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel, 28. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We are to be about making disciples, which involves calling them to obedience, symbolized in baptism, of following Jesus. And then, thirdly, John's humility, which we spoke of. The one whose shoe strap John the baptizer did not deem himself worthy to untie, that one would later untie the shoe straps of his disciples, quite literally, and wash their feet in a powerful display of servanthood later in John's gospel, John 13. He is the servant king, and he calls us now to follow him, like the songwriter says, to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship in our love for him and in our lives of love and service to others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Paul writes in Philippians 2, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man. And being found in human form or in fashion as a man, the authorized version says, he humbled himself, he became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. Wherefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, And what's the imperative in all of that text? Let this same mind, this humility, be in you and in me. Finally, comfort for the flock. We looked at comfort for God's people in Isaiah 40, which is the line that John the Baptist references, a voice in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. That comfort is only good news for you. It's only good news for me if we are numbered among his flock. It is good news to those who are weak. It is good news to those who are poor. It is good news to those who are needy. We just sang, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands with an invitation. He is the good shepherd. Isaiah 40 gave imagery about him gathering lambs into his bosom but that's only if you're a sheep and so I trust that we have seen directly from God's inspired word this morning our proposition um, so our closing slide which I amended slightly um, that do we have that last slide the witness of John reveals the identity of Jesus as the Lamb of God for weak poor, needy sinners. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Lamb of God for sinners slain, the word who took on flesh, who came and dwelt among us, walked this dusty, earth and humbled himself in obedience unto death, the death of a criminal, the death on the cross. Lord, we rejoice that the grave could not hold him. We rejoice that he is risen. We rejoice that he sits enthroned at your right hand, interceding for us, pleading the merit of his blood, that sacrifice once and for all, for all time. For those who are being sanctified. And Lord, I ask that you would work this good news into our hearts. I ask, Lord, that you would cause us to behold, to stop, to look, to consider Jesus Christ in his beauty and the glory that is revealed in beholding Him. May that, through the Spirit, be transforming us into more faithful representations, representatives of Christ. May we be those witnesses who have much to say, not about ourselves, but much to say about the Lamb of God. Thank you for this body here at Gateway Bible Church. What a joy it has been to know them. Seeking to to know and to apply and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in this area. And Lord, I ask your blessing upon their witness for you here in the days that you have left for us before glory. I ask for many to come to know this Lamb of God through the ministry of this church. Yes, in the Lord's Day gathering like this morning, but perhaps even more importantly, in all the interactions that they have in the neighborhood, in the workplace, and where you have stationed them in this season. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Pray this in Jesus' name.